Blog Talk Radio. Of religious settings. 
A whip simply wrote, Heal the sexually abused heart. A whip book for survivors, strivers, and supporters is an integration of various disciplines that led Harvey to become a certified traumatic incident reduction, TIR, facilitator. Harvey explains, quote, why it is no secret that I'm a survivor of crazy abuse. It is the journey of integration, transformation, and application that is most telling about my accomplishments and the life that I celebrate, unquote. This is his website, jaimeromo.com, and that is spelled J-A-I-M-E-R-O-M-O.org. Can I say dot com? I'm sorry, dot org. Okay, so on this Tuesday and Thursday episode, we welcome various survivor professionals as co-hosts to assist in fielding questions and read a variety of topics. MacBook Pro 3 lost. Connected to MacBook Pro 3. I'm sorry. On these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts who read a variety of topics suggested by our call-in participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives will help them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality that spring some questions and topics brought to us by our listeners. Everyone's invited to engage on tonight's show. And again, the phone number to do that is area code 646-595-2114. Okay, and with that, I will introduce Dr. Jaime Romo. Hello. Hello, can you hear me okay? I can. Oh, very good. Because on my end, you are sounding a bit garbled. I'm not sure. So anyway, I'm glad, and I'm glad to be here. Um, and, you know, just quick introduction of myself. While for um, many years I was disconnected from my own abuse, um, and my experience was uh, uh, clergy sexual abuse. And there are other layers of trauma, you know, just poverty and uh, racism and violence in my home and a lot of things that I didn't feel safe uh, with. Um, it was when I was kind of at the most uh, successful point in some terms, you know, back about 20 years ago when I was in uh, K-12 education as administrator and then a teacher educator, and I uh, was fairly established that um, my own uh, abuse trauma surfaced. That was when the Boston clergy abuse scandal was breaking in news, and uh, that triggered my own memories. And uh, since then, I have been working to integrate all those life experiences. And um, currently... I serve in a role as a hospice chaplain, which I consider more of a spiritual companion, not particularly religious, um, but uh, certainly helping people, you know, as a, as a companion just to sort through, you know, what do I need to let go of and what do I really want at this point? Um, and so that kind of leads me to 
a topic for tonight, um, if I may jump into that. Um, yes, and because I, I, I de- th- thanks. I, I deal with you know people as they're they're asking those big important questions, and you know ultimately people want peace, um, and it's it's easy, maybe familiar. And, and it makes sense that we can get caught up in the things that have been uh, grievances, you know, the things uh, in us individually or collectively, things that happen to us or happen around us. And, you know, I, I was just with a patient today, and, you know, and that can really, like, we can lose our minds getting caught up in those things that are upsetting. And so I asked him, you know, so, like, what? What brings you joy? You know, what, what do you want? And that opened up a whole different conversation. So this is a short reading, uh, and it's focused on peace because um, even in, in our activism, you know, we intending to bring justice or healing, we can sometimes be focused on the, the, the resentment, the grievance. Um, and so anyway, here's a reading that uh, a colleague shared with me today. And it starts with a quote by Louise uh, Birkenau. I don't know who that is. It says, imagine that we conjure up a world that is safe for mothers and daughters. So that's a huge thing, being safe. I was just with a patient, and, and she had a lifetime of trauma and addiction and being living, functioning, working, but living in her car. And she's a patient now, um, and, and her journey has always been about being safe. And so here's the the reading. The question of violence and danger in society occupies a lot of time, breath, and printer's ink. The possibilities of peace and safety take up very little. It's usual for us to think of containing violence by greater violence, the violence of weapons, of prisons, of riot squads. And yet, the teachers whose wisdom we prize above all others tells us that one cannot answer force with force, that only peace and detachment can meet violence and draw out its poisons. No sane person wants war, yet we're so locked into violent patterns of thinking that many of us believe we should prepare for it. How would we go about preparing for peace? What are the first steps we could take? What is peace anyhow? We, seem to know very little about it. A world that is safe for mothers and daughters would be safe for fathers and sons as well. So let's search our hearts to discover what we know of peace and let us talk to one another, work together to realize that knowledge. Um, And so this little follow-up comment is, I shall not study violence anymore. Instead, I shall discover as much as I can about peace and safety. For in my life, peace begins with me. Um, so it, it just it does make sense to me, especially if I've if I've looked uh, at my own development. I would call it from being first disconnected from the harm that came to me, or and when I connected with it, being full of rage and trying to bring about support and accountability and justice and even healing, but coming from a place of war, really. I wanted to take out those who caused harm and those who betrayed and those who covered up um, and even doing it, you know, through 
a legal system or, you know, by um, pressure and, you know, shaming others. Uh, and that was toxic for me. And, and so over time, I, I think I'm, it, what resonates more is um, that I acknowledge there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of harm that uh, needs to be stopped, a lot of um, prevention that needs to be put in place. Um, but what I can do is starting with myself, um, find a, a kind of not hot anger, but call it cold anger that co- coexists with um, with compassion um, that allows me then to come from a different place. So activism, you know, is more of a spiritual practice. Um, and and then, you know, I know in my own experience, you know, what, what can I do for in my relationships is to be present and to um, be compassionate, you know, um, not shaming as I have experienced and internalized or have I done in the past, um, and be good to others. So, and then in the bigger picture, you know, I'm going to lead a TIR facilitator training at the end of this month. Um, I posted it on the NASCA site. I'll do it again. But, uh, you know, to, to have others uh, be able to find some relief, some a piece in, within themselves so that they can then facilitate for others. So it's a, a lot of different thoughts just about, you know, what is this peace thing? What is this journey? And, and what are we, how can we begin? Beautiful. Thank you. Um, what is it and how do we begin? That's a wonderful question. I feel like I have peace in my life, and I got here that I can define it. Um, I do want to say that we have several other people on the line, and um, I think one of them is Victoria. Let me put them in, and we'll see who's on the line with us. Victoria, are you there? Hello? Good day. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, this is... This is Bob from the Whitsunday Islands and <coughs> in Australia. And um, sorry, I, I didn't catch the name of the guest uh, today, so my apologies. That's Dr. Um, Jaime Romo. Um, good day, Jaime. How are you going, mate? Um, I'm well, thank you. Yeah, and I agree with you that the host's audio is very muffled and garbled, and it's um, hard for me to um, to um, get clarity on what she's saying. But for me, um, the question I pose to everybody is, if you are not creating your life, who is? And if you are not creating your life, you are victim by definition. And this is no judgment. This is just where I've come to in my own journey. And in my own journey, healing the wounds of my childhood was the most powerful work I've ever undertaken because I remember 
and I know that I was born into this realm as a magical little child where the world was full of wonder and awe and you know I'm tottering around and just learning to walk and the world is magical but by the time um, I was seven or eight years old all that magic had been beaten out of me and for me that's that's such a wound and as far as um, wounding goes looking at Western society it's hard for me to imagine any child growing up in that society that has had all their developmental needs met and then and then this this thing in our society about child sexual abuse and and for me abuse is abuse is abuse it can be physical it can be emotional it can be spiritual it can be intellectual but there are no it's not a competition abuse is not a competition and all it takes for me is to look at the into the eyes of the child and the and that if there is a look of terror in the eyes of the child then that is enough abuse because what has happened there is the trust of the child to its primary caregiver has been broken and for me trust is like virginity you know like once you break it how can you heal it but fortunately um, with the help of John Bradshaw back in about 1990 I went back and I knew I couldn't change the past but I had a feeling that I could heal the past and so I went back and I healed the wounds of my childhood and that my friend was the most powerful work I've ever done and what I've come to realize is in our Western society what is killing people more than anything is their obedience to programming they are living in headspace not heart space and it took me 20 years to remove 40 years of programming now I am on a personal mission to eradicate suicide um, and every 40 seconds somebody dies because of depression and they do not have to and I'm living proof of that because there is no such thing as mental illness for me depression is just a rite of passage and it's just my body when I had my first panic attack that was my body saying to me whack Bob wake up go and find your truth and live your truth and walk your talk and so that's where I am and sometimes I'm happy and sometimes I'm sad you know if I was happy all if I was happy all the time how would I know so sometimes mm. I'm happy and sometimes I'm sad but I'm always content because I I bet my life on trusting my inner tuition and that's just mm. where I am and I'll finish quickly with my life is governed by two principles 
and I seem to have this knack of reducing everything to a really mm. simple common denominator. And the, and the first principle for me is the KISS principle, which for me is keep it simple, sovereign. I know I've changed it, but then I know that the words I use create my reality. So I mm. create spells. And then the second principle is something I coined about 12 years ago, which is the Sue principle, S-U-E. For me, we are all sovereign, unique, and equal. And everything else flows from that. So for me, mm -hmm. there is an argument. Everyone holds a piece of the puzzle. And so all I say is, find your truth, celebrate your differences, because your beautiful differences is what makes you beautifully unique. And mm -hmm. I'll shut up because I could go on for hours on this topic. All I know is sure. I'm a simple bloke. I'm a simple bloke, and I spent 20 years addicted to antidepressants, and I was locked mm. in the trap of the intellect trying to think my way out. But it wasn't until I could silence my mind and listen to my heart that I found my own solutions. And, um, yeah, and I'm just here to add my little spice to this beautiful cake that mm. we, are all, mm -hmm. we are all creating. Okay, I'll shut up now. Honest. <laughs> uh, well, I, I just want to, I want to hear from everybody. And I just also wanted us to um, say how so much of what you said really resonates, you know, with the, that that uh, question, you know, is beautiful. Like, if we're not creating um, our life, what was it? Who is? You know, if yeah, we're not if the not authors, and, and yeah, if you're yeah, not creating, if we're not life, the authors, yeah. Simple. But just to say, you know, that we have these. It is. Yeah, yeah. That we have. Um, we have had things happen to us that have maybe uh, given us the impression that we're not sovereign, right? And that, that disconnect us. Um, and, and I, I appreciate, you know, there's no pain Olympics really. I mean, even though I've done that in the past, you know, like my abuse, you think you've been abused. You think you've had trauma. Um, that, that makes sense coming from a victim place and then a survivor place. Um, I think it's not linear, but I, I do think there are differences in how we take our experience up, and um, and so that when we are able to, um, you talk about Bradshaw, you know, healing our past, you know, become more whole, uh, be able to face what has happened to us, be able to face what we've internalized. You talk about, you know, that we're. Um, I wrote it down, but that we're. You know, following maybe uh, what others have put on us, um, when we're able to embrace and become uh, with with compassion, and I would say even you know some grief work, that it allows us then to come from a different place to realize that we are sovereign, um, and and with that you know that we're no better or no less than anyone, and that we are unique. Um, and that so I, I love so many of the things that you've brought up and you know i think it is in in doing our own reconnecting that that we can learn to trust ourselves 
and and from that place we figure out little by little maybe how to have an open heart and to trust others but i, I just really appreciate you know the, the energy the vision of that we're not our the sum total of our wounds right? you know there's so much more and that those can be um, powerful resources as we go forward well what i've come to realize my my friend is that in western society um, we're all victims of victims and if you don't hand it back you pass it on um, and during my childhood uh, my mum was randomly violent she was like you know it's like living next to a volcano and I got to this place where in the early 90s doing Bradshaw work God, I hate you, Mum. You know, why are you always beating me? You know, but you've got to love your Mum because you've only got one Mum, and it was that dichotomy that was tearing my soul apart. And so, and this is probably the hardest thing I ever did. I just sat down and wrote a letter to Mum, saying, "Dear Mum, just telling you my story about how I felt as a child growing up in our family." And, um, you know, I thought it was going to be a couple of pages, but it ended up being as thick as war and peace. But I just wrote, Mum, I hated it when you beat me with a carpet sweeper. I hated it when you dangled me my, by my wrist and beat me with the frying pan. And, you know, I just split it all out in this letter that I was actually writing. And then, as I say, that's my dog in the background. Um, yeah. And um, and the hardest thing I ever did was actually, I finished the letter and said, Dear Mum, this is just my story. Please tell me your story. And then I actually posted that letter to her. And that's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. I'm in Australia. She's back in England. And so... Um, Eventually, I got a letter back from Mum saying, "Oh, Bobby, 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 must think I'm the first mother in the whole world, but I was only doing my very best." And so, mm. I wrote, I wrote back and said, "Mum, this is not about blame. Please, Mum, mm-hmm. tell me your story." And so mm-hmm. she eventually wrote back, and she was born in Germany in 1924 between the wars. Her dad mm-hmm. was an alcoholic, her mum was a control freak. Her cousins were in the SS or they were shot. And then I realised by her sharing her story that she had had a really violent childhood too. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. when the light bulb went off and I realised that, yes, my mum was doing the very best that she could, but mm. all that she could do was dump on me what got dumped mm. on her. And with that realization, I could move from that place of hang- anger through understanding mm. back to love. And then a few days later, I phoned my mum in the UK and she was back in hospital with a second bout of uh, bowel cancer. And, mm. and that was the first time we actually spoke as mother and son, mm. as mm-hmm. two cause. And, you know, tears yeah. are straight down our faces 
and then the following day she died and that was such a beautiful mm. closure mm. but mm-hmm. but consequent to that about five years later I contacted my mum through a spiritual medium in the beyond and the message I, and I knew the medium was fair dinkum because she shared stuff that only mum and I knew so mm-hmm. what the the dialogue that I got from mum was Bobby, 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 thank you so much for writing that letter because I am now, now going and doing the same work with my own parents mm. in the beyond. Mm-hmm. And my friend blew me away. Beautiful. Beautiful. Again, uh, and, and I think, Annie, you may have other people online, but it just, again, like, I start off with that quote about peace, you know, what would the world be if we would be safe for women and children, and I think in your story, you've you made it safe for her to tell her story, and I forget where it is, but this quote about if we don't tell our story, we suffocate. So for you to write your story, for you to to not put it out, you know, to be right, but just to tell your story and give her that space was tremendously healing, you know, and, and healing intergenerationally because we've inherited, as you pointed out, you know, and then we just pass on unless we do something different so thank you that's that's awesome yeah well where I'm coming yes, thank from you Bob I'll just finish with this and my name is Bob not Paul um, I'll just finish with this going back to my Sue principle we're all sovereign unique and equal and all I can say is that everyone holds a piece of the puzzle and that simply by sharing our stories, we help to heal each other. Yeah, um, yeah, thank you. I love that. You've, Thanks, you've bro. You've distilled a lot. You've distilled a lot, yeah. That's my skill. And, and I just want to say, you know, yeah. But, and, but, you know, here we go across continents, right? We're... we're hearing, you know, resonant stories, right? Resonant uh, learning, um, being more whole. It's, um, I think that is what is underlying all of us. Right? We are able to connect and to join and to be more whole. So I thank you for sharing your story. No worries, Mike. Tiny, this is Annie. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. I'm glad. I don't know what was wrong earlier, but here I am. And we do have two people on the line whose mics don't seem to be working. I want those people to know that there seems to be something wrong with the dashboard. It's not letting the phone number open if that makes sense. Um, So let's see. Let me ask, is there someone on the line who would like to ask a question of Dr. Romo? Question or comment, yeah. No. We'll we'll hope that these, uh, these other two phone numbers will open up. I can't tell what's wrong with them. They just keep going in circles. So, um, Dr. Wilmer, I'll turn well, it back over to you. 
Well, you, you sound much clearer now, so whatever you've done on your end is really beneficial. And um, Thank you. Yeah. For me, in my final analysis, all that I have is my story. That's all I can ever own. You know, my personal life experience, my witness testimony which is why I never give advice because for me unsolicited advice is abuse because we're all equal and I'm here to live my life my way not your way so all I have is my story and and that's why my life is so simple you know because all we've got to do is share our stories we don't need psychiatrists or psychologists or petrochemical medications all we need to do is sit around the campfire and share our truth in art space yeah so Bob if I could uh, join again and, and add um, years ago uh, you, said, you know we don't need psychologists we don't need medications um, years ago I was in uh, the jungles of southern Mexico in Chiapas and, and there's, you know, very little electricity, let alone, like, no Western, you know, psychology and psychologists and that kind of stuff. But people would go, well, one, people lived in this community. They, they belonged, right? And I think that is um, what brings healing. Um, but in the plaza, in the center of town, you know, someone would walk and stop at a stand and, and kind of, share what was going on in their life and what problems and then they would go to another and be able to share and then to another it was just as a matter of you know talking through with their community sharing their story and belonging um, there's an yep. expression that the the opposite of addiction is connection and and I mentioned mm -hmm. that with the idea of your your mission to help end suicide because you know, the more connected we are, the less uh, we are likely to use outside things to kind of feel connected or to completely, you know, disconnect. Um, so I, I really appreciate the sharing stories, belonging, and connection. Well, for me, my friend, there is no out there, out there. Um, um, when I first had my first panic attack in 1984, and I've got an amazing intellect. I spent probably 20 years trying to think my way out of depression. I was living in the headspace, and now I moved house to heart space, and I found all, and I learned how to silence my mind so that mm -hmm. I could clear, listen, and hear my heart. And living in heart space, you know, uh, yeah. for me, the mind is just a tool that I use when I choose, for I'm so much more my mind. And it was that, that realization that um, allowed me to take the pain of depression that I was experiencing, and it is a very real pain. Um, mm -hmm use that as the motive force to go within and find my own truth and so at that time I started questioning everything everything 
that I previously had held as truth. You know, what my parents taught me, what the mainstream media mm. taught me, what the education mm. or indoctrination system was telling me. And I realized it was all bullshit. And so when I started questioning everything and began the journey, and I set that as my life purpose, to simply find my own truth. Mm. But by, by questioning everything, um, I did find my own truth. And how do I know what is my truth? Whatever resonates mm. with my heart. Mm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And and <laughs> it's and I go back to the kids kiss principle. Keep it simple, sovereign, because mm. you know the mind is always looking for answers, but your heart already knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hi, this you is Sorry, can you hear me? Hello? Is my, is my mic open now? Yes, yes it, is. it is. Oh, good. <laughs> Hi, Jamie. I'm a really sorry. I'm the other host here. And uh, um, we just couldn't get my mic to connect at all. Um, so I, I tried to talk a few times, and I've been messaging Annie, and she keeps messing me back. Oh. You just, you're the mic keeps spinning, you know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I'm really, really glad that you're uh, here with us, and uh, um, I've read a little bit of your bio. I came in late because my, my cap from my therapist didn't come in on time, so I missed a lot of what you were talking about, but I want to make sure that, you know, you're getting in uh, um, what you want to say, and if you've got, I don't know if you've got a website or got an organization um i couldn't even get in because my computer just got sent in yesterday <laughs> so i'm, I'm kind of um running on a tail here on a tail feather <laughs> and uh yeah. but i'm i'm glad that i finally got my mic working and and that i get to talk to you and uh you know you yeah. said you said that we have a lot of differences but you know the abuse and stuff and i always try to tell people let's look at our commonalities rather than our differences because mm -hmm. we have so much in common, especially our feelings, you know, like I can say I'm angry and, and people know what I mean. They know anger, you know, or I was really sad about the situation in my life. People, you know, can feel my feelings, maybe not feel them exactly, mm -hmm. but, you know, can relate to what that is. And, and so I always say, well, let's look at what we have in common that, rather than we have different. Feelings are healings, eh? The feeling you swallow mm -hmm. today come back and choke you. <laughs> in mm. my experience. Yeah, yeah. I would I would uh, echo that the idea that um what we don't tr uh metabolize, you know, what we don't tr transform, we transmit, right? Yeah, mm. and um that and also though, I mean, for me there was a, a shift from you know, I feel angry to uh and, and at the time, I was angry. Right? It's like mm -hmm. you have to feel angry and be angry. Right? You can you can respond and and appreciate you know again Bob talking about the heart. You know, connecting um, to our heart is even uh, physiologically. You know, the heart is what sends the hormones through the body to either be you know panicked and or to be soothed. Um, and, and our, our mind is following really the heart. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, feelings are, are, are healing. And, and at the same time, they can be totally messy because I know for me, going from suppression and depression, the next step up was anger. And I had yeah. to let things out, you know, and, mm-hmm. and to be able to continue to be more whole and wholehearted. So I read a little bit about your bio, and so um, you're a survivor of a clergy abuse? Yes. Is that right? Okay, I just want to make sure. Yes. <laughs> I was reading the right bio. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, yeah my, uh, my biological father was very involved in the church, and I didn't grow up with him, but um, – he would kept coming back to my life, and, and I didn't know to be afraid of him because I had developable personality disorder. And I was afraid of him, but I didn't really know why, so I just kind of told myself I was crazy, <laughs> you know, and then I'd be back mm. in his grips again. But, um, you know, well, he was he could re- quote the Bible back and forth and was teaching Sunday school for adults and taking mm. kids on camping trips, and the family thought he was awesome, and 10th highest computer mm. program in the nation, and you know, just just all these wonderful things. The community thought he was awesome, and you know, and and yet he used all that intelligence and all those religious words and everything else to push around to to do the you know abuse that he did to me. And mm-hmm. not a lot of people understand the spiritual and religious abuse, and there's just words that just like trigger me that that I heard from him. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, religious types of things and I was wondering if you had that sort of a reaction or response or um, I asked the beginning of what you were talking about so so you can share a little bit more of your story with us because you are a special guest and we want to make sure that you get in what you know well, thanks. what you came here to talk about thank you thanks thanks and well, I missed your me, name I'm sorry sorry for me Oh, oh my name. My name is Victoria Kelly, and we're we'll like Jamie talk to Victoria. How are you, darling? I'm here. Yes, you are. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll come in. I'm oh, come in quickly, and then I'll get out of the way. Uh, for me, all religions are about control, and I love this little one because I've got a wicked sense of humor. For me, okay. Um, let's Let's let let Jamie talk because I asked him the question. Yeah, just give me a minute and then I'll shut up for good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, for me, um, I love this one. Uh, Religion is for those folks that are afraid of going to hell. And spirituality is for those folks that have already been there and... Jesus, mate, I have been there. Mm. Okay. And mm. with that note, I will shut up and just let the flow go. Thanks so much for your time and attention. Bye for now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean well, to shut yeah, you off. Don't, don't go away. To, don't go away. No, don't go away, please. We appreciate your uh, feedback and your support here, so don't leave. Um, I just was uh, asking Jamie because I didn't hear any of his story yet. That's all. That wasn't nothing against you. You've given a lot of really positive information on here, and I appreciate that you're here. So don't leave. Echo that, and just I, I love that. Um, you know, I think there is clearly religious abuse, and, and there's a history of uh, that being a mechanism for control. Um, you know, religio, the, the Latin means to bind together, and so I think there are some... Um, 
in, in developmentally, there's some use to give people like some guidelines, um, but certainly controlling behavior and information and thoughts and emotion um, is uh, abuse. In fact, that's the kind of definition of cults. Um, but I think, Bob, you mentioned earlier, there's all kinds of abuse. I mean, there's not, we can't say one is worse in that, you know, each person may have more resilience. Um, but uh, certainly for me, the experience of religious uh, uh, authority, sexual abuse uh, was profound, um, you know, because I came from a family that um, had this blind faith, you know, in, in church and those who represented God were our hope. And, and so there was, um, besides the, uh, you know, the, the breaking of boundaries and trust and, and internalized shame and all that, there was, you know, like there was this God had a hand in this. And, um, and so just to, you know, touch on your, your question about, you know, certain words and things may be triggering, of course, you know, and I think people, um, Ideally, we all are home and free wherever we are, you know, knowing that some places have associations and uh, can be triggered by, you know, that the idea of them, whether it's a church or a person, authority figures. Um, and, and I think it is a, an ongoing process to, you know, to recognize, okay, I'm not going to avoid being in the world. I'm not going to avoid certain uh, even places, um, ideally. You know, but that may be a, a healing step for a while is to step back. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, I mean, doesn't this religion represent authority? And, and Bob, to link to what you were saying, you know, we are sovereign. You know, so we need to find ways to take up our own authority and rightfully question, you know, question whether it's an educational system or religious system, political system, you know, take up our own authenticity and authority. And, and I think in part the dangerous and, or difficult part of that can be that um, we can also do harm. Like we can also, without re- realizing it, have a, a kind of um, influence over others that um, mm-hmm. without even realizing it. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think it's, it's an ongoing learning and uh, one of humility as well as in a paradoxical way, one of really embracing our, as you said, sovereignty. Um, but I do, I do appreciate that there's, um, there is this painful process sometimes of letting go of, for whatever reason, you know, others' teachings or others' practices or rituals or religions. Um, not even those who, that have been overtly abuse, abusive, because there are, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, what's it called? Um, ritual abuse. There are people who are yeah. under the umbrella of religion who do physical and emotional and spiritual harm, you know, real overt. Mm-hmm. And while that may seem extreme, I think, um, you know, we, we are right to, to be skeptical and to learn to find that um, connection in ourselves, that uh, authority in ourselves, but to hold that gently. Yeah, my no, grandma was... wanted me to I got baptized so I didn't go to hell. So she sent me to catechism, right, because she's Catholic. And they didn't no, like no, me there. They didn't like me there because I kept asking questions. And apparently 
when you're going to Canada, get something you just ask questions. I thought that would be her quick. And yeah, I go right. to AA at that, uh, 36 years sober. And I have to get out and leave before the last prayer, and I can't even say it because a lot of the words, even the beginning and the name of the prayer, still triggers me. And I've been in therapy since I was 21. I escaped from the biological father when I was 21. I couldn't put three words together, couldn't look nobody in the eye, and I shook all the time. And I went suicidal, and I hated myself. And, you know, it was really helpful for me. I needed to be on medication, and I still need to be on medication. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Mm -hmm. NASCA is that we don't advocate for any particular type of healing. We're all here on our own healing journey. And But the great thing is that we get to share the different, you know, ways that we've come to where we are in our journey. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is, you know, really important to have special guests on so we can hear different ways that people have, you know, survived first off and, you know, and then and then ended up, you know, being able to do something to let other people and help mm-hmm. other people. Not everybody wants to be a speaker, write a book, whatever. But, you know, just mm-hmm. the fact that people are willing to come on and tell their story. You don't know that maybe one sentence you say might be something that somebody didn't even have the words, you know, to, to put the words to what mm-hmm. the abuse was, you know. And so I'm really glad that, that you came on. And then uh, um, if you would tell us, you know, like what was the turning point for you that you think that, you know, that your journey in your healing started? Well, well. And, and invite others to, to speak up. But I mean, I think, Bob, you mentioned earlier, you know, pain, uh, anxiety attacks. I mean, there are things that our bodies and our emotions um, scream out to us that are saying we need attention. Right? And so, you know, for me, when I was having, you know, these flashbacks and emotionally I was just enraged, um, you know, uh, that was that was my body and my heart saying, you know, this needs attention. Um, and so I did a lot of things with that energy as an advocate for others and leading groups and leading press conferences and protesting against, you know, the diocese and on and on. Um, and I thought I did other things with that energy that were maybe more constructive. You know, I was a teacher. I was helping people to take up their voice and um, help others. Um, but, you know, on, on a more like when I was at the lowest, when I was had PTSD, I went to a psychiatrist and I was like others, I would never, ever, you know, take medication. But I, I did that, I think, for about a year um, as part of just getting stability. I mean, I did a lot of different things, whether they were sweat lodges or group therapy or individual therapy. Um and, and I think a turning point was uh, being guided through a process to acknowledge the wounds, to to hear more, uh, and to realize you know what I had what I had experienced of abandonment and abuse and shame that I had internalized. So I was abandoning myself and abusive to myself, and then carrying shame regardless of how accomplished I might be. And and then with that, having a sense of compassion. And taking responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. then uh, seeing the impact I had on others, and, and you know, and making amends to some degree, and so that was a significant turning point: is being able to, mm-hmm. you know, stop some of the activities outward and 
and be present, you know, and be good to yeah. myself and to acknowledge big, and, big you know, the opposite. For, yeah, a big point for me was realizing that um, that I do have control over my life now. Sometimes I still have to remind myself that, you know, because I feel like that, that little child that has no choices and I kind of dig myself into my own corner, you know, or, or fall down the rabbit hole because I get into that thinking because it just was always there, you know, I was sexy before I was a year old. And, and I never had that wonder of life and, you know, um, mm. oh, everything's going great. And then some, some tragedy happened. It just, tragedy was just always there. And, you know, it, um, I, I was just, I had so much self-hate. And when mm-hmm. I finally realized that, you know, my healing was in my hands, you know, and that, that I could, I could find ways and search out resources and people and everything else. People came into my life. It wasn't the easiest way. I ended up, you know, in a psych ward (laughs) and them Mm. saying, Hey, you know, and they put me in an antidepressant. He says, you've been depressed all your life. And, and it was like watching a black and white TV and somebody just, you not even knowing, bringing in a color TV and turning it on. You know, mm-hmm. it was like, it was a whole different world. Didn't even know that world existed. And I have a world today. I'm going to turn 61 at the end of the month. My son just got me a house. Just, um, it's been just a few days over a year ago. And uh, um, I told my son when I got this place, I said, I feel better physically, spiritually, and emotionally I have in my whole entire life. And he says, really, mm-hmm. mom? Why is that? You know, and I says, well, because I have stability now. I said, that is something mm-hmm. I've never had my whole life is stability, you know? I, I don't have to worry. If I'd have got kicked out of the last place, which they tried to do over my service animal, that would have been my 20th time homeless. I haven't had no stability, you know? And, and I did take a lot of, you know, I literally had to take my power back because it was stolen mm-hmm. from me. I really believe that God put me on this earth to sexually satisfy men. That was the only, that's what I believed. For years and years and years and years, you know, because that's just what kept happening to me. Yeah. I mean, I hear some intersection. I don't know, Bob, if you're still on the line, but I mean, with that idea of, you know, yeah, becoming our own authors, becoming sovereign. Right. Yep. Yeah. Matter of fact, I changed that KIS as, as well. It, some people say, keep it simple, stupid, which I absolutely hate. So I changed it mm-hmm. to keep it simple, sweetheart. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would correct people when they say mm-hmm. it the other way. <laughs> but I've got I've got yeah. um, 36 years sober from drugs and alcohol, so I do speaking on that as well as child abuse and domestic violence, and I'm also a survivor of systems of prostitution. So I've been speaking mm-hmm. on you know a lot of issues for many years since 1986, but. I didn't start talking uh, about my child abuse till a little over 10 years ago when I talked to Bill because I had so much shame around not not uh, getting away, not escaping until I was 21 years old. You know, mm. um, same to think, I guess, that at this magic age of 18, all this information just drops on you and you should know it all. And I didn't know it all at 21 either. So I just figured I must have been standing in the wrong place, you know, or something. You know, I mm-hmm. wasn't quite sure what I did wrong, you know, because people acted like I should have known at that point that, you know, I could have got help and that, you know, that that there were ways out. And, and I was totally trapped. He had pornography of me. He was going to show it everybody. He was going to take me to Louisiana and marry me and raise our my daughter as our child. I mean, it, it just, mm-hmm. you know. 
kept getting worse and worse and worse to where the point I was going to kill myself and my daughter and not leave a note because I was in so much shame. I didn't want nobody to know what he had done to me. I'd rather people hmm. think I was a bad mom. Yeah. Let those secrets. Yeah. Shame, shame is, uh, you know, toxic and it's one of those things that um, I think happens when things happen to us and we internalize something and we interpret very young, you know, that uh, if the authority is right and they're doing this uh, mm-hmm. I must, and they keep doing this, I must be, there's something wrong with me. You know, and that mm-hmm. shame is yeah, something wrong with me. And that's, it's a deep um yeah, yeah, I can feel the word now. guilt and yeah. shame, too, you know, and I found out that guilt is something, you know, that you do, like I stole something from the store, so I feel guilty, mm-hmm. and shame is, you know, that's bad or whatever, but mm-hmm. shame is I am bad, like to the literal mm-hmm. core of me, people would say, well, good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people, and I thought, well, I must have been a horrible baby, or in my past life, mm-hmm. as people would say, you know, you must have done some really bad things, and that's why, you know, when you were a child, you were sexually abused, and when you were an infant, sexually abused and all that, you know. And so, yeah, you get mm-hmm. all these, you know, helpful advice from people. <laughs> that's not that helpful. And so, like you said, yeah. defining, you know, defining for yourself who you are is, is just so important. Yeah, and um, again, Bob, I don't know if you're still on the line, but the idea of um, – Questioning, even questioning ourselves. Um, there's a, a simple two-part process um, that sometimes run with folks, and, and uh, it's the idea of like get the idea that uh, maybe you're good. Get the idea that at your core and all throughout you are good. And Bob, you know, again, start off with like we're this wondrous child. Um, Others might say we're a child of God, but however it is, get the idea that at your core, you're really good and just, you know, sit with that idea and, and like to let it. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that, or maybe there's some doubt there, but I still think, and you just, again, we'll let that percolate and then flip it. And uh, now get the idea that uh, you're really not good. And, and uh, honestly take inventory wow, is there a part of me that really thinks that? Or no, actually, I, that's, that's a crappy thing. That's, that's a lie. And, you know, just kind of let that percolate and then flip it back. Get the idea that you're essentially good. Mm-hmm. Um, you are essentially sovereign. You're essentially a gift, you know, however you want to frame it. And, and again, mm-hmm. clarify. So nobody else has to put, you know, give you advice. And, and it becomes okay. like really connected to our deeper self. And um, I think that's a, a part of processing, you know, but to question ourselves and to really get clear so that we're not just, you know, thinking of ourselves in a certain way, but we're feeling it, we're connected to it. And again, that idea of um, the correlation between connection and all kinds of problems, you know, like the, uh, if we're not connected, we're more likely to get into self-medicating or behaviors that, you know, somehow um, are self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm in know. the program, you know, and they, part of that is taking an inventory. So I explain it to people this way. I worked in a store, you know, and you've got all this stuff in the store and you go through everything and you go, no, 
I don't like, you know, that that's out of date or, or that's, you know, that's just bad. I don't like that. Get that out of there. But you got to replace it with something, you know, that, mm-hmm. that part on that shelf is empty. You know, so what positive can I replace it with? Because I don't, you know, there are things that I'm still working in and will be till the last, last breath, you know, that will that mm-hmm. just come to be, that, oh, wow, I shouldn't have said that. You know, just, I can't. Because when I was, if I'm good or bad, it was like black and white, you know. I'm, mm-hmm. I've done things wrong in my life. I've done things great in my life. But ultimately, I've come to realize that I am a good person. I have a good heart. And I'm going to tell myself good things about myself. Yeah, I've made mistakes, mm-hmm. you know. But I only did what I did with the information I had at the time. And I got bad information and outright lied to, you know. Mm. And and so I don't have regrets. I just go today is in this moment actually is a new moment, and I'm going forward mm. from right now. You know, I'm just going to keep doing the next right thing. And if mm. I make a mistake and I say something I shouldn't have said that you know hurts somebody's feelings, I apologize as soon as I can. You know, if if I have good intent and a good heart and I'm doing my best, that's all I can do. You know. Your best is mm-hmm. all you can do, and and yeah. Yeah, yeah. I stop beating myself up. Yeah, there's a, you know, that movie, The Love Guru. It's a, it's a comedy with Mike Myers years ago. It kind of is making fun of Deepak Chopra, who actually played a little cameo in the movie. You know, the the character Mike Myers plays has these books, and one of them is titled like, "Stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself." Why are you still hitting yourself? I mean, it's the title of the yeah. book, and it's, uh, yeah, we, we we continue to do that. Um, I wanted to ask because I don't know who who else is on the line. Um, yeah. If there's anybody else who wants to join. Annie, are you still there? I am here. It's just Jaime, Victoria, and Annie right now. There is no one else on the line right now. Hmm. Okay. Would you like to join in our conversation here? Uh, well, sure. Um, uh, I don't have anything specific, so I'll, I'll let you continue. Okay. Well, you know, with this idea um, of change, you know, of like letting go of uh, the layers of, of negative, you know, that, that we've inherited, um, there's that image of the uh, Michelangelo would talk about, you know, when he was sculpting, you know, like, how did you do this? And and he said something like, you know, I just take away what is not what is the image or the, you know, what that uh, marble wants to be, you know, and there's something about that one that it takes work. It's, it's not a small, simple task to chip away parts of, excuse me, parts of ourselves. Um, to really change some behaviors or let go of things that are not part of this deeper self of that is good and that has you know, a purpose you know, that mm-hmm. it has you know, something that, to do um, and uh, it's, I guess it's different for each person how we discern that um, but uh, I think you said something like you know like God, you know, has given or shown you some things. And, you know, mm-hmm. for others, um, it may be just a, a sense of, 
of uh, noticing things that that happen that are beyond our control. Um, mm-hmm. Simple things, ordinary things. Um, but but that idea of changing behaviors that's that's a, a difficult thing. It is. It is. It doesn't happen overnight. That's for sure. You know, there is a lot of behaviors I certainly wanted to change, but I didn't know how to do it. You know, and I did have to go to people that I admired and and ask questions. I had a sponsor for 33 years, Mm. you know, and and I asked all kinds of stuff. Like, I was sober for, um, see, my daughter was um, before when I got sober. So it was kind of on her eighth birthday, and I started having memories of my eighth eighth birthday. Now I've been sober you know, a while, mm. but I called my sponsor and I was just dumbfounded. And I said, how do you have a eight year old birthday party without booze? And I was serious. Mm. I had not a freaking clue, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I had to ask people, what can I do for her birthday? I didn't necessarily have to go into my past and say how bad my eighth birthday was, but just, Hey, mm. you got any ideas for what to do for my daughter for her eighth birthday? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and nobody brought up booze, you know? <laughs> huh. Interesting, <laughs> you know, but but yeah, it it was just you know trying to find out different ways of doing things, and also, okay, I went and did this, and that made me feel good, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that must be a good thing to do because it made me feel good, you know. Or mm-hmm. boy, I wonder if that would make me happy trying it out. No, that didn't make me happy going skiing and not knowing how to stop. No, that didn't make me happy at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. But yeah. I just went back from Disneyland, and I went to California. My son gave me a trip to California. I went to Disneyland and uh, Universal Studios, and we got to go out and eat. And Bill Murray, the um, founder of NASCA, I got to go out and see mm-hmm. him. He was, you know, got oh, wow. him over to the house that my son rented for this Airbnb, whatever you call it, really big house. Mm. And just, it was just fantastic, you know, and I just enjoyed myself so much. And, you know, um, I didn't have a relationship with my kids at all. When they were um, younger, I put them in permanent foster care because I wasn't the mom I wanted to be, and I wasn't the mom they deserved. And I knew that. Mm. And I put them, it was the hardest thing I ever did, but it was the best thing I ever did, you know, because neither Mm. one of them would have even graduated from high school. Because of my mental Mm. health, I I couldn't get disability. I couldn't, you know, I didn't know the psych ward. when I was home, I wasn't really there, you know, and I knew I wasn't mm-hmm. giving them the life they deserved, you know. And even mm-hmm. after I started getting better and people say, oh, are you going to get your kids now? I said, my kids are doing just great. They're, they have stability, doing great in school. I'm not going to rip that all away. Don't mm-hmm. you want to be a mom? I mean, what's wrong with you? And, you know, I just knew in my heart that it didn't matter what people around me thought. I knew in my heart I was doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. my kids turned out. Amazing. They are amazing, happy, functioning. Um, I watch my daughter with my grandchild, and tears come to my eyes of what a loving mother she is. She's like the best mother I know. She's just there for her child no matter what anybody, you know, I mean, she's just always there for her child, and she's a healthy person. She takes care of herself and married and, you know, has a great job and has a lot of friends and helps people in the program because she's also in the program, had issues with drugs, you know. But she's got 17 years sober. She became a um, a dual dependency counselor, and now Mm -hmm. she's working for some kind of a computer thing with my son, 
and and you know my kids wouldn't be my my son would be flipping hamburgers if that you know because he was in special mm-hmm. school for kids that were um had um ADHD and behavior problems and everything else and that that foster home got him mainstream back in school he ended up getting mm-hmm. a um he ended up getting a um um what do you call it? college um um scholarship because mm-hmm. it's great so good you know and and it just you know but it wasn't it just didn't happen overnight our relationship it took a lot to us getting back in each other's lives and putting a lot of effort into it you know and it was like oh it's so wonderful your kids did that for you and wish i kids like that well it didn't just happen overnight we were very estranged you know mm-hmm. yeah but we i, I wanted it and they wanted word. it yeah you got to work in. yeah yeah, I no, mean, in no. the, the work that I, yeah. I, the facilitation I do in the training that I'm going to lead at the end of the month, uh, traumatic incident reduction, um, the, it works. It's very powerful and efficient and effective, but it works with three basic things. And I think, you know, those are part of your story. Is one, like, in, you have to want it, you have to have some motivation that you want those mm-hmm. relationships to be better, you want your life to be better. The second is that we're willing to feel the discomfort. We're willing to sit through the discomfort of of telling our story, of reconnecting with the things that we avoided, you know, in the moment. Um, to, in a sense, relive sometimes those those deeply wounding experiences, um, and knowing that by sitting through it. Um, that we actually have huge difference, you know, different perspective and that we, uh, at a visceral level, um, have the, the triggers are already released or untangled. Mm -hmm. Um, and the third is that, you know, in the process, you're not under the influence of something. So you have to have some kind of, uh, you know, clear mind. Um, but, uh, I really, really appreciate one, all the work, you know, that it takes and also, you mentioned um, needing to ask other people, you know, how do you have an eight-year-old birthday party without alcohol? Um, I think that is, that's a, points to the reality of the, uh, and I think Bob mentioned earlier, like we're all like these different pieces of this bigger story and we, we uh, can learn from each other and sometimes we have to ask from others' perspective things that we can't see or, or don't know, you know, um, there's this show on Netflix that I've come to really like called The Amazing Attorney Wu. And um, it's this uh, story of, of, of a lawyer who uh, has uh, autism. And, you know, she's asking people, like, how to socialize, you know, asking, kind of trying to figure out what's normal mm-hmm. or what's healthy. And, and I was hearing a little bit of that analogy, like, you know, we have to sometimes – uh, question ourselves like is this a healthy thing i mean um we don't often always automatically know what's safe or oh. what's healthy um we may learn it and, and then some of that is as you've done is asking others and um yeah it's well, when, a, I had my, when, when i had my daughter I started, I started uh a parenting class you know and my i was living with my grandmother at the time because i had escaped from 
her father who shook her violently and I got away from mom. And anyway, um, um, you know, she says, why are you going to those parenting classes? I said, because I want to be a better parent. She goes, well, I never took parenting classes and you turned out just fine. <laughs> and I thought to myself, yeah. yeah, fine. Effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Fine. I mean, it's in another yeah. place work, you know, and, and I couldn't barely function. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I was fine, right. You know, I couldn't hold down a job, um, nothing. And I just, you know, um, pushed through that um, mm-hmm. feeling of inadequacy and just said, you know, there are books out there. There's people out there I can ask questions. That's why I still go to psychiatrists and a therapist because I, I still have questions on how it can make my life better and how I can change, mm-hmm. you know, because I still got some old, old beliefs and, you know, I might think I kicked it, you know, <laughs> and I tell you what, mm-hmm. these both times keep coming back. People go, well, you got 36 years sober. I bet you never think about using. I'll tell you one time, I, a lot of times I think about lose, using is when I go to get new services or get help and they say, you're not, you are alcoholic and, or you are alcoholic and drug addict. And I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, what's your drug of choice? And I'll say, well, anything anybody would get me, he was, you know. Mm. And and they keep, keep continuing to insist that I give them a drug of choice mm. or whatever I could get, mm-hmm. you know. And because they have a box to check off. And, mm-hmm. and they won't let me just say what my reality is. So by the time they push me 20 minutes to tell them my drug of choice, all I can think of is, what would I like to use right now? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's my drug. Yeah. So all of them are different. None of them are the same. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and you know, we don't fit in these little boxes. We just don't, you know. And, um, you know, then they talked about character defects, and that just really hurt me. It hurt me bad. Mm. And so I switched that to coping mechanisms because that's mm-hmm. how I survived. I want to survive by the yeah. level of coping mechanisms, you know. I, I lied because yeah. I got in trouble for telling the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. I made up stuff because yeah, yeah. I didn't want them to know what I was really going through. Well, I could say I was a bad person and a liar and a this and that. But you know what? There were reasons behind that. There were reasons, you know, I'll go, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, but alcohol and drugs are not my problem. And I'm sure people are wondering, well, what the hell are you stand out there for? <laughs> you yeah. know, and then I'll go into, you know. Every time I stopped drinking or using, I started remembering my abuse, and I went, no wonder why I mm-hmm. drink, or no wonder why I do drugs, and I'd be back on a rampage again. Fortunately, I had somebody that yeah. me guzzling out of a bottle that said, you know, Victoria, you think you might be an alcoholic? He said, oh, yeah, I am an alcoholic, but I'm one of those alcoholics that can't be helped. She said, oh, what kind of alcoholic is that? She became my sponsor, and I told her for 33 years what kind of alcoholic that was. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you said a lot, and I guess one of the things I want to yeah. highlight that yeah. maybe connects a few of those uh-huh. is that idea of, of coping, you know, that you said you lied because telling the truth got you in trouble, you know, and like we do things to cope. We do things actually to to mm-hmm. get away from what may be dangerous, you know, unsafe and so on. Um, and and that's, you know, why people do all kinds of things, uh, you know, like uh, substances or self-destructive mm-hmm. behaviors or avoiding things or, um, you know, fight and flight. I mean, those are coping mechanisms that um, can eventually kind of snowball. Right? And so the, the ACE study 25 years ago with 
Vince Folletti that, you know, I think more and more people really need to uh, just understand and that, uh, you know, he, uh, Folletti even says, you know, addictions are basically the natural uh, consequence of these kind of coping mechanisms that have gone unaddressed, you know, and they're right. coping because of something, not just you know, for them, for their own sake. And there's another kind of coping, which is denial. You know, when you mentioned your mom saying, well, look at you turned out fine. Um, that was my know, grandmother. Of, uh, yeah. Oh, your grandmother. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she, uh, we have, uh, we have limited maybe ability to really see the impact uh, you know, of our lives uh, on others. Um, you know, Bob mentioned earlier how, um, you know, he, he realized his mom had this history of, of trauma, you know, and she passed along what she had. Um, you know, my dad was a, a violent alcoholic and on his deathbed, um, he, the best he could do, you know, cause he put our lives in danger uh, often yeah. and we lived in an unpredictable, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> dangerous home when, especially when he drank and, you know, on his deathbed, he, he said to me and my brothers, you know, I don't know if you remember when I drank. Uh, we like nearly fell out of our chairs. I'm like, you nearly killed us on a regular basis when you drank. Right. How could you think we don't remember? But that was the his coping mechanism was, you know, to suppress and to deny and to disconnect. And, um, and you know, his, his drinking was... Uh, a culmination of all kinds of horrible, you know, trauma that he didn't have it in a childhood. So uh, just this idea of, of coping to me is um, really, really important that, that it may not be good and healthy and may be self-destructive. Um, and that's why I went back to, you know, for people to heal and, um, you know, we need to be able to face fully our experiences. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been thinking about, um, you know, some people who I think are not, they're not, they're maybe ex- extraordinary in that their trauma and their abuse was so extreme. Um, but essentially they have faced so much of their past that they're in a place of gratitude. And, yeah. you know, not saying that I would wish other people to have that kind of abuse, but to say, you know, I am, I am whole. I am, um, I've learned and I'm an agent of, of healing. I have resources now that wouldn't have happened, you know, had I not faced all these things and, and transformed them. So, well, that's why a lot of think, us say we're grateful yeah. alcoholics because, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have met the people that I have met that I've either been helped by or be able to help um, if it wasn't for me being in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous or Elanon. Or I went to a group of people that disassociated, and one of the conditions being in that group was you couldn't be on drugs or alcohol. And that, mm-hmm. because that was, group was helping me, that at that point, was I really, really had a strong urge to use that kept me from not using because I didn't want to lose the group. You know, I didn't want to lose mm-hmm. the support mm-hmm. I had there. And in the same way with AA, it, it had helped me in the same way, you know, and uh, but I was wondering, you mentioned the aces, and I was wondering if you could um, um, talk a little bit about what that is, because we probably have we might have some listeners. I know a lot of people know what it is, but we might have some listeners that this is the first time they've ever heard that word. Explain a little yeah. bit. Yeah, 
and many, many people have not. And so, uh, you know, Vince Felitti is a physician with Kaiser Permanente. I've lost track of him. Um, but 25 years ago, uh, he was part of a, a weight reduction program. So people who are obese, uh, morbidly obese, you'd come in and, you know, whatever the program was, they would lose a lot of weight. And then at some point, you found that some people would leave. They didn't finish the program. But then when they came back, um, they would be at that dangerous weight again. And, and, you know, he was asking the intake question with one person, and he added a question, something like, you know, well, when did your eating habits change? Uh, like, or when did they begin like this? And the person said something like, when my, I was seven and my stepfather started you know, molesting me, sexually abusing me. And he asked this new question and he ruined his protocol because um, they were, you know, making a study out of how effective the program was. So they, they came up with, you know, many questions about adverse childhood experiences, things that happened to us, things that happened around us, and things that should have happened. So, you know, physical, emotional, sexual abuse that happens to us, uh, the violence that we see around us, and people not having good boundaries or, you know, doing hurtful things to others or the not not keeping their promise and so on, and neglect. And they had a database of like 17,000 Kaiser Permanente patients, you know, who are mostly white middle class, college educated, working, you know, insured um, people. And, and they had this amazing matrix of few have more than three of these things. And, and that's not an exhaustive list. And it's been since um, expanded to deal with all kinds of, you know, traumas um, related to racism, related to poverty, related to immigration, related to, you know, political violence, all kinds of things. But they came up with this correlation that, you know, at some point there's a high correlation that people are going to um, have anxiety or depression or people are going to have COPD or people are going to have asthma or people are going to have heart attacks or people are going to, um, end up with different kinds of addictions. They'll be smokers. They'll be, you know, drug users, and um, and it's not causation. But the the point is, and there have been many books that have and studies and, and teachings about this now. You know, um, physicians. Um, Bruce Perry is one. Um, uh, Van der Kolk in, in um, Holland is one. Uh, Gabor Mate in Canada is one. And, I mean, it's Peter Levine. I mean, all these people who are saying that the body absorbs these uh, unresolved traumas that give us, you know, these interpretations about ourselves and the world. And those things just run in our background and, and they may keep us kind of hyper alert. And that has a physical impact on us as well as it, you know, may lead people to cope in different ways, to avoid things or to do things like, you know, if my system is in the fight flight mode and, stirred up a lot, then it's going to be harder to sleep. So maybe I take sleeping pills or maybe I drink or maybe I smoke. Um, and then that kind of snowballs. Um, and so it's, it's just uh, the science behind, you know, the understanding that uh, we were too often dealing with, you know, the question of what's wrong with you, you know, why are you doing this behavior uh, and, and um, pathologizing the behavior, right? You know, so the drug is the problem. Is this a test that um, somebody would take themselves? Um, would they ask their therapist maybe um, 
if they could go through those questions with them? Is it something that they do over time or if it's something you just like the MMPI where you just sit down and answer 300 questions or um, yeah, I mean, kind of all of the years online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's okay. always, I think, helpful to uh, to have the information itself and then to be able to to explore maybe with someone, you know, like, oh, this makes sense that mm -hmm. certain, you know, things continue to be um, recurring, you know, behaviors yeah. or, you know, problems and so on. Felitti, yeah. um, I mean, what he was hoping was that um, and when people are going to have a doctor's appointment, that they fill out the questionnaire and the, and the doctor could say, and I actually did this at some point. Um, you say, oh, I see you have so many of these ACEs. Well, you know, just to let you know, it makes sense that you might have certain, you know, health conditions. Cause, um, but to let you know, you know, that we're going to work with you. And mm -hmm. um, just, to, just to acknowledge has a powerful impact that uh, yeah. people aren't, you know, been continuing to think of themselves as like, I am messed up. But, okay, it makes sense. There's a connection between my life experiences that, um, and, and my current, you know, physical behavioral health. And, and I was locked. I was does, locked up in a state thing. mental hospital, and um, you know, I was I was really messed up, and I was just happy with staying there, you know, because like everything was just so much easier. But I was married at the time, and my husband kept coming and bringing my kids on the weekends, and you know, I knew my kids were okay and everything, and and so I was, you know, I was okay, and um, mm. I got a weekend pass, and I went to see my grandmother, and I just had this compelling feeling. Because what was happening, I was crawling around on my hands and my knees, and I'd end up in the corner, and I'd be whimpering and um, just holding on to myself and whimpering and shaking. And um, I'd come out of it, and I didn't even know I was doing it. I didn't even, I don't even know how mm. long I did this for, because my husband one time noticed me doing it, and we didn't know what the heck was going on, you know, because I couldn't remember what had happened at all. And and mm. so, you know, I was suicidal, and so I ended up in the state hospital. Well, I went back to my grandparents because came to live with them. And my mom put me on a train on my first birthday with my two brothers and sent us to Minnesota. And I found out later on, she said, I sent you away because I knew you were in danger. She said, I just felt you were. I didn't have no, you know, reason to think that way. I just felt that way, which it was a good reason she did, good thing she did. And I told her that before she died because she always called herself a bad mom, you know. Mm. But anyway, I went back to my grandmother, and I told her what was going on. And I said, was I like that when I first came to live with you? She said, yeah. I said, well, didn't you think that was weird? Mm. Yeah. I said, well, did you take me to the doctor or anything? Yeah, we took you to the doctor. Well, mm. it's like pulling teeth, you know. Well, what did the doctor say? Well, the doctor said we should never tell you. And I go, tell mm. me what? I cannot tell you. And I said, why won't you tell me? She said, because the doctor said, if we don't tell you, it won't affect you. And I said, oh, wow. obviously, it's affecting me. She said, I was acting like that when I came to live with her. I said, obviously, it's affecting me. I'm locked up in a state mental hospital, which I probably will never get out of. At least if I know what happened, maybe I can get help. And she mm -hmm. finally told me that the doctor examined me, said my vaginal opening was way too big for a child that age. Mm -hmm. And the, of mm -hmm. course, didn't use the word sexually abused, you know. But mm -hmm. once I started, you know, I had all kinds of female problems all along. Once I finally 
found a lot of this stuff out and more memories started coming back and I'm working on the MPD, more memories come back. I went to my gynecologist and I told mm. him that I am, I was a victim of sexual, you know, sexual abuse and incest. Mm-hmm. And he said, I figured that was what was going on because mm. I would freak out when he would do the exam, you know, and I would, I would talk myself yeah. through it. I would begin to calm down by talking myself through it, you know, but, but yeah, he, you know, he just came out and said, I think instead of saying like what you're talking about, asking those, those hard questions, mm-hmm. um, they never used to yeah, do just that. Acknowledging they that. might know in their yeah. mind something happened, but they, but they didn't ask yeah. you and they didn't say, this is a response to that, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah I'm mindful of don't have <laughs> a lot of time, but I, yeah. what a, what a powerful example of how, you know, secrets, and I think it's a it's a common phrase. You know, we're as sick as our secrets, and you know how um, badly people have, uh, who with medical or, or religious or other kind of authority, have uh, just avoided uh, acknowledging something that um, by acknowledging it, then we can actually deal with it. Right? And and yeah. I think that's in the being able to tell our story, being able to. You know, the doctor and others don't have to do anything, but to, to acknowledge is a starting point. Mm-hmm. You know, and then those who have some skills uh, who are safe, they can be resources for the actual, you know, healing process. But I just thank you, thank you for yep. this uh, conversation. There's an yeah. awesome letter you could Google. It's uh, called "Dear Doctor," and it was a story uh, in Kaiser Permanente Journal many, many years ago. And I, I met the person. It was the person that wasn't named, but I met the author years ago and um it's a perfect example of how you know doctors were missing all kinds of signs of trauma and abuse um yeah but well anyway, i ended th- up thank writing you on facebook and and also i'm the minnesota ambassador for nasca and mm-hmm. uh um, you know um i'd like to continue this conversation there's a lot more um that Absolutely. i do <laughs> that i do as well for education and, and empowering people too I've been doing this, you know, for quite a while now, um, but only because of the help of others and people that are speaking out and helping us like you are and uh, telling your story. I really, really appreciate it. And I think we're going to be playing Thank the music you. in just a few seconds, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Annie, you're yeah. on. <laughs> Thanks, Annie. Good night, everyone. Good night now. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.